The scripture I want to look at today is found in John chapter 20. And I think I mentioned a week or so ago that I had never so far in all the years I've pastored, I've never felt led to focus on the events, the words, the teaching, the commands of Jesus confined to the 40-day period after he rose from the dead, Easter Sunday, and then ascended into heaven. But looking at all that, this was one of the most, maybe I'd use this word, productive times, fruitful times of Jesus' ministry. These were, now we know that he is still with us through his spirit, but these are commands after the resurrection when infallible proof was offered as to who he is. No basis any longer for doubt as to who he is. God himself, clothed in human flesh. And so another um, event in that 40 days is written here, several events really, in John 20. And so we'll read beginning, I think if we read beginning with verse uh, 19, that gives us a little bit of context. In the 19th verse, then the same day at evening, now the same day is resurrection day, This is the evening after he rose from the dead, Easter Sunday morning. That same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Let me stop just for a moment there. Some look at that and say when he said, receive the Spirit, that this is when he poured out the Spirit upon them. That's not correct. He clearly poured out his Spirit on them on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover, Easter. This, the word here, receive, literally means, is clearly translated, may be better, is reach out and take. It's an active word. Take the Holy Spirit. It's anticipatory. It's preparing them for 
the day of Pentecost, which he in the other Gospels and here also tells them to wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. So that's what receive the Spirit means. Then when he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. This also is not the granting of a human being, even the apostles, to actually forgive sins. The, word, the wording here and also in the other Gospels where the similar thing is stated is what has been forgiven in heaven, you forgive. What has been bound or not forgiven, you forgive. Or in some other this occurs in every gospel. That which has been forgiven or in doctrine has been offered, there's forgiveness for, you preach that. You open the door to forgiveness. That which has uh, not been forgiven or that which is still considered sin retains the character of sin, meaning, as we look ahead just a little bit, after Jesus ascended back into heaven, you have a lot of cases where the disciples, the apostles, were charged with determining what Old Testament rituals and commandments and food ordinances and things of that sort no longer apply, because that was the huge shift that took place and provoked real conflict in the very early church. What do we retain from 1,500, 2,000 years of Judaism and what do we let expire as applicable to us in this day? Because Jesus fulfilled the law and we no longer have to avoid bacon we, we, don't, we don't have all the dietary laws and all the things that God commanded them. That was a difficult time for the church to pass through. That's what this is talking about. It is not giving humans the power to forgive sin. I can forgive somebody who's done something to me, but I can't forgive sins on behalf of God. So... This is, a, this is the New King James Version. There are other versions that are maybe a little more clear um, than this one. Now, let's pick back up where we were. Verse 24. At this particular meeting, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, 
you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We'll end our reading there. In this 40 days after Easter, Jesus instituted some things. One of them, I think, is here. What he really does here in this meeting with the disciples, locked up behind closed doors, barred doors for fear of the Jews. They were a mess. But he appeared to them and he gave them what I believe is a template for us for what a service, a worship service ought to be like. What all does God want to do in a worship service? What, what does he expect to come out of it? There are certain things that Jesus did here that give us a template for when we meet today, 2,000 years later. The same things that Jesus purposed, the same thing he wanted to accomplish the same revealing that he wanted to give, he's still doing today. And we know we are authentically following Jesus 2,000 years later when we meet with the same purposes and the same presiding, which is the first thing we look at here. In verse 26... We'll just move through several of these verses. After eight days, his disciples were inside, doors being shut. He stood in the midst and said, peace to you. The first thing about a service that Jesus set, made a template for there is Jesus presides. There isn't any question I don't have any idea what was going on in the meeting or in the group as they were there prior to Jesus showing up. Who knows what they were talking about? I'm certain they were the poor souls were a mess. Um, they were bewildered and confused and had some hope. And here some of the disciples had said, Jesus, we, we've seen Jesus. You have people like Thomas, there were others. I, I can't buy it. Till I see him, I can't, I'm not going to believe it. And it's, a, it's against hope. He hoped it was true, but feared that it wasn't. Jesus shows up. I don't know what they were talking about or what was going on, but the minute Jesus showed up, the meeting changed. He was in charge. Whenever you and I, when all of us meet, Jesus has to be presider in chief if he's in charge if he sets the tone if he brings that spirit that we sense when we're here we're having a new testament type service now we know jesus doesn't appear to us physically but we have the capacity not only just as humans, but especially as Christians, we feel that spirit. We sense it. 
we, we know God is here. We, we have songs that have that phrase, that the Lord is in this place. And we, we're capable of sensing that. Now, wh- when does Jesus show up? Well, he shows up, according to Matthew 18, he said, whenever two or three. What a wonderful promise. There's seven billion people in this world. Just two people, or maybe three, get together, he said, in my name, I will be in their midst. I'll be there. He attends any meeting and every meeting where there's just two believers. He's there. He said, I'll be there. My, what a promise. And how do we know? What does it mean to meet in my name? That's the qualifier. Just because we have the word church on a sign out front, and we have a sanctuary, and we have singing, and we have all, doesn't mean Jesus is there. Doesn't mean it at all. We must meet in his name, which means we submit to him, we love him, we trust him, we take his truth as the truth. In the kingdom of God, there's no such thing as my truth and your truth. No, it's God's truth or it's a lie. Let God be true and every man a liar, Paul said. So when we gather together, the guarantee that Jesus will preside is because, really, he already presides in my personal heart. So here's what a service is. A number of people, two or three or more, in whose hearts Jesus resides and he presides. So we drive into the parking lot and we walk in the front doors. We, in, a, in reality, we bring Jesus in with us. That's how he gets here. Now I know he fills the whole earth. There's no place we can go where he isn't. But in that special sense of his meeting with us, he gets here in your heart and in my heart where he is acknowledged as Lord. No challenger. No competition. He's God. And we treat him as such. Jesus presides. He didn't hear, ask permission. And it's interesting here, he didn't knock on the door. Of course, it was locked. He just showed up. Well, when he shows up, when he shows up, you got church. (laughs) And listen, I don't care if we have 50,000. It doesn't make any difference. If we don't meet in his name, he isn't there. We've had a meeting. But so does the Eagles Lodge. They have meetings. 
just a meeting. We don't want just meetings. We want to meet in His name and know He's there. Second, in verse 27, first part, without needing to be informed by the other disciples, there weren't any tattlers among the disciples who ran to Jesus and said, do you know what Thomas said? He didn't need anybody to tell him. Why? Because he's God. He sees all. He hears all. He knows all. And proof of that is Thomas certainly remembered what he said. Thomas remembered, yeah, the disciples told me they'd seen Jesus, and I declared one version of, one translation uh, changes the word I will not believe to I'll never believe until, unless I put my finger in the nail prints and my hand into the spear wound in his side. I'll never believe. When you think about that, I know these poor disciples, again, they were a mess. And Jesus didn't harbor something against Thomas, but he did call him out in public. Jesus, secondly, when he presides, he also perceives. He reads hearts. He knows. He knows the heart of every single person that's gathered here today. He knows how things are in your heart towards Him. He knows the state of our relationship with Him. He knows whether we're ready to meet Him or not. He knows what's written in His book after our name. There's nothing He doesn't know. And He proves that to Thomas. Because he shows up, there's no evidence that they saw him in the intervening eight days. And he shows up and said, Thomas, basically saying, yeah, I, I heard you. I heard you last week. Here's a sobering thought. God heard us all last week, yesterday, three days ago. He heard us. He saw us. He knows. And here's what's interesting. I know people swear at times that the preacher is aiming stuff at them. Uh, or someone ratted them out to the preacher in the intervening week. I can't tell you the number of times that I have had people say, did, you know, did somebody tell you? <clears throat> and here, here's one of the reasons people do that. They don't want to pick the option that God is the one that saw my heart. And unknown to the preacher, put a thought in his mind, a sentence in his that hit me. We don't want to say, that was God talking to me. Because then we got to deal with it. So what do we do? Somebody told you. Or you're just shooting at me. That way it lowers it and I don't have to listen to it. I may have told you this before. Uh, I can't remember. I was a really little kid. I suppose I was six or seven or eight, somewhere in there. 
<clears throat> I'm sitting in this hard varnished pew like I used to have, <clears throat> an old building, my dad's first church. And, you know, it was the kind, I still remember sitting there picking at the varnish on the pews. Real old, and they're kind of sticky. Um, if anybody remembers any of those old kind of churches and the varnish is kind of, anyway, doing anything but listening, but, you know. There was a woman two or three rows ahead of me, <clears throat> and it was the mother of a woman who was in our church. And I was friends with this mother's son. He was about my age. And his grandma, his mom's mom, came from out of town, rode the train, came into Portland. <clears throat> she came to church. And of course, I don't, I never saw her again, so I don't know her background, don't know anything. But she was sitting next to her daughter, right in front of me and right pretty near the front. I have no idea what my dad was preaching. But this woman, all of a sudden, kind of took, she was sitting in a, like a raincoat or something, if I remember right. She kind of took the raincoat and just kind of flipped it over and just crossed her leg. And she looked up at my dad and she says, why don't you just tell everybody you're talking about me? Now, I've never been in a service like that before or since. At least, she didn't know any better, I guess, to be honest. But honestly, thankfully, no, no one's ever done that since. Never been around that. But it's what goes on. And it's not the preacher. It's not that the preacher's some wise soul and can see through hearts. If we are just an instrument, a mouthpiece for God, there are lots of times when your thoughts just kind of go a certain direction while you're speaking and you have no idea. But God shot an arrow at somebody. <laughs> Don't blame it on the preacher. Just be thankful, and I mean this not blowing our own horns, be thankful that you sit under a preacher and preachers who God can use whether they know it or not. Because Jesus, when he shows up, he is the heart knowing God, therefore he's the heart revealing God. Here's the thing about God, he won't keep his mouth shut. We all say, well, I didn't want to say anything. God never said that in his life. What he sees, he says, hey. And he does it a lot of different ways. God had been on me for some years, <clears throat> through late high school on into college. I knew I was called to preach. Didn't want to do that, wasn't planning to do it. And I knew if I ever got right with God, quit running with the gang I was running with and the junk we were doing, I'd have to preach. I never told anybody that, ever. Never, never told a soul that. And I'm not happy to admit 
you know, I'm ashamed to say it, but we were sitting in an apartment, everybody half to three quarters to full drunk. A friend of mine who was three sheets to the wind sitting across from me. I can't even remember what we were talking about. He just kind of straightened up on the sofa and looked across at me and he says, Morgan, you're going to be a preacher. Now, we weren't talking about that. We were over on the campus of the University of Oregon. Crazy place. I have no idea what we were talking about, but just out of the blue. And this guy wasn't a preacher. He wasn't preaching material, at least that night. God perceives, and he doesn't keep his mouth shut. However he can, whatever he... Listen, if he spoke, if he opened the mouth of a donkey to nail Balaam, the Old Testament prophet, he can speak through us. And he speaks through you. This isn't limited to the preacher. Often, you and I, and I know you've experienced this, God's put words in your mouth, you don't know where in the world they came from. And you spoke, and it may, be, may have been three or four sentences, 15 seconds, but you just sense God gave you words that you didn't think of. Jesus perceives and when he perceives, he always reveals it to us. And so he, everybody there had heard Thomas say all he'd said. Jesus said, hey, Thomas, I heard you. And we're going to deal with it. Third thing, latter part of 27, he said this, and this is touching to me. Jesus wasn't ready to scrub Thomas's name off the list of the 12. He'd heard what he said. He knew his heart. Even though what Thomas said was unbelieving, Jesus didn't cut him off, and he took this opportunity to say this. He said, put your hand into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. The literal wording here is do not become unbelieving, but be believing. Here's what it, Jesus gives him an opening here. He doesn't classify him really as a hardcore unbeliever. But he says, Thomas, you're on the road to extinguishing any faith in your heart. Come back from that edge. Get pulled back from that cliff. Don't go down that road. It's, it's a kind gesture through Jesus to Thomas. Thomas, you're not a hopeless case. And I'm not going to cut you off. Don't become unbelieving. Don't entertain the doubts that the devil suggests to you. Deep down in our hearts, 
even when we may profess doubts, latch on to them, and profess them. There's something down in here we know it's not right. It's not true. I know God's true. And so Jesus says he persuades. That's the third thing that he's doing here. He, he presides, he perceives, he persuades. Jesus is always in the business of calling me, drawing me, get out of sin, follow me. Probably the, maybe the number one phrase Jesus used, follow me, follow me, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavily burdened with sin. I'll give you rest. You come to me. It won't do any good to go anywhere else. No one else can offer what I can offer. Come to me. So Jesus goes into the business of persuading, which really, when we think of who Jesus is, he's God. He, he ought to have, he has the authority to just say, you believe or else. But he doesn't. He comes down to our pitiful, stupid, thick-headed level. And he said, listen. And, and what did he do also? He gave evidence. Should he have to give evidence? Does God have to prove himself? No, but he does. So he stooped to Thomas's level. He said, you want to see marks in my hand? Okay, here they are. You said you wanted to see the spear wound in my sight. Okay, here it is. I'm, I'm giving you evidence. I'm not obligated to give you. You ought to just believe because it's right. But I know he knows our messed up state. And so he said, okay, I'll give you evidence. I will, as God, I will prove myself to my own creation. What a thought. Yet he does it. Jesus persuades. Then finally, he, he encourages Thomas. He blesses him. And Thomas, we know, sank to his knees. And he said, my Lord and my God. The persuasion worked. Thomas's heart softened and he said, I believe and you're my God. I'll follow you. He promises. He sealed Thomas's faith with a promise not only to him but to us because he makes this statement Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. You know what that is? That's called the doctrine of assurance. It's the witness of the Spirit. When you and I believe, God himself witnesses to us, you've believed. He tells us himself, our own heart. He says, the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. We believe. 
And, I, and, and God says, I saw it. I counted. So he tells us where we are with God. Does anyone want to know, Lord, where do I stand with you? The truth is the matter. It's okay to ask that question. But you really don't need to. Because he's already been telling you. Remember the earlier point. He won't keep his mouth shut. He, we know. I was young, and I remember a great, great, great preacher. Um, he was a theology professor, um, Dr. Furman, taught my dad, and then I went to a, a different seminary. Um, and then later, this same Dr. Furman taught my son Jonathan in seminary. He's now in heaven, saint if there ever was one. And I was just starting out in the ministry, and I invited him to come to um, the little student pastor that I had while I was going to seminary. And he flew in from, I can't remember where. And we had him there, and he was there four or five days. And over a weekend, preached on Sunday. And people came to the front uh, at an altar invitation to pray. And <clears throat> he was praying with somebody over here and I was talking to somebody over there but I remember hearing him he said this person said I just don't know where I am with God I don't I, I just can't figure out where I stand with God and he was kind but firm he just kind of looked at this person and he says take a good guess yeah we know we know God's already been talking to us he tells us where we're at. We know it. Just own up to it. But Jesus then, in addition to giving assurance to Timothy, or to, to Thomas, you've believed, he then says this, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. Blessed. Blessed by God himself. Owned by God. And we could say this, claimed by God. God claims us. He's not ashamed. Jesus said, I'm not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. That's, that is tremendous. Now, I'm not going to give any names here, and I'll, we'll only think of other churches I've pastored. But there have been some people that, none here, there have been some people in every one of my other churches where people would say, does so-and-so go to your church? And I'm standing there thinking, okay, do I flat out lie and get in trouble with God? Because I don't know what kind, of, why is he asking that? There's some people, there's some people, you're not afraid to endorse them. You understand what I mean? You've got people like that in your life. Is that guy your cousin? Is, that, is he your brother? Never move. Have no idea. But God himself, when it says he blesses us, it means God is not ashamed to say, he's one of mine, she's one of mine. What? Now, who could be greater than God? Yes. My stamp of approval is on him. 
And we know that. This is God's template, his pattern for the kinds of meetings he wants to have with us. Not only on the Lord's Day, but every time we get together for prayer meeting or fellowship, like the wonderful day we had Sunday, Jesus presides. And when he's here, we've had church. Let's bow our heads. And I want us to just let him, let the Lord check our own hearts. And you know, even while closing prayers prayed, I can pray, you can pray, you can say, Lord, there's something I got to deal with between you and me. God is nearer than our hands or our feet. Plus, he's for us. Father in heaven, walking across the parking lot this morning, I was praying, Lord, that we would meet with you here this morning, that you would speak to hearts, use our pastor to speak to our hearts, work through him, and give us the ears to hear. And I believe this morning you've done that, Lord. So to echo the words of our pastor this morning, just whatever it is that you've perceived in our hearts and have pointed out to us that we need to deal with, Help us not to avoid it. Help us not to be vague and distracting. Help us to just sit still for just a minute and allow you to address the things that you've spoken to us about and do a deeper work in our hearts, no matter where we're at, because none of us are perfect, Lord, and we come in here on a Sunday morning, yes, to hear from our pastor, but more than that, to meet with you that you would encourage our hearts and convict our hearts and comfort our hearts and guide our hearts and the things that you would have us listen to and the things that you would have us do. Your word tells us, for him who knows what to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. If we're not obedient to what you've laid on your heart this morning, or on our hearts this morning, Lord, in your eyes it is sin. Help us not to be disobedient. Help us to be obedient to everything that you say in the moments that you speak to us and that you say it. And by your grace, we build our lives according to your purpose and according to your glory. So help us today, Lord, to know this and this alone. We've met with you today, and for that we praise you. Now as we leave this place, help us to walk with you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. You are dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.